Just four days away from the new year, we're going to be talking about transitioning from this old year to the new year and trying to finish strong. And we're going to be looking at what the Apostle Paul says in the book of 1 Corinthians as we do that. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School, December 27th, four days before the new year. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Now you can see the screen. The screen says uh, finishing strong, and it has a, it's supposed to have a person with feet. That looks like they're running, so that's, I'm, I'll try and interpret for you. We could do this every week. It would save me some trouble. I could just have a black screen and explain it each time. So we're talking about finishing strong and this transition to, uh, from this last year to this new year, and I think the advice about finishing strong is probably something you've heard before. So if you've ever done any sporting event and you've had a coach, I'm guessing most of you on some level, I'm not saying elite or anything like that. He's probably had a coach that has encouraged you to finish strong. Or you've had a parent, you know, you're going through school, or maybe you've it dished this advice out to your kids. You know, you're kind of struggling along, and they're, they're kind of losing motivation, and you're like, hey, we've got to finish strong. Or they've worked on a paper, and they've worked on it for like a week, and they've got just a little bit left, right, that last 10% to make it actually a good paper. And then they're saying, hey, you've got to finish strong. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, finishing strong. And it's advice I think we've all heard of. The problem, though, is I just read a thing as we get ready for New Year's resolutions that 88% of people by this point have stopped following their New Year's resolutions. So is there anybody here who has made it all the way through? This would be a good demographic. We'd have about 12 people. Some have made their resolutions. That's great. And my guess is the resolution is just kind of depends how difficult it is. It's like I want to eat less than four dozen cookies a week. You know, then, then, it's, then, then you got a pretty good chance at it. You know, this is what I want to do. Um, I want to get up before noon every day, you know, every single day, like a soldier. I'm going to get up before noon. You know, you know, some of these are, but if you got something hard, you probably fit in, like me, the 88%. You even remember your resolutions that you did last year. Well, usually every year I show you the top ones, but then I realize it's kind of the same list every year, and it really is. So we probably, number one would, of course, be trying to get fit. Uh, Number two is like getting out of debt. That's usually on that list. And I just was riding with my daughter in the car. We were going to pick up the donuts, and I said, hey, do you have any goals for this year? And so she listed off a few things, and and so we're going through this process, and I'm going to probably totally nerd out with my kids and sit them down and say, what are your goals? But it's not just identifying the goal, is it? Because all of us can identify things we want to be better. The challenge is not only identifying the goals, but deciding what things you have to do or not do to reach that goal. And then finally, what we're going to be touching on today is motivation. Like, where do you get the motivation to continue this? Because I think a lot of us have started to fade. So when you lay things out, that's usually the case. And the, the challenging part is not identifying the goal, we said. The challenging part, I think, is trying to figure out what you've got to do or not do to try and reach it. So say you want to get out of debt. Some of these goals that I mentioned will be autobiographical. So uh, say you want to get out of debt. So say, you know, last year or this, this year uh, in February, you bought a house and you had to borrow money from your parents and you're almost 40 years old for a down payment. I mean, just hypothetically. Is there anyone who wants to owe their parents money when they're almost 40 years old? No. It's not good to owe anybody any money. My daughter just borrowed money for us. She wanted to buy an art desk. She's really excited and she borrowed, it was $90. And so she's been watching three dogs for a week trying to save this money up. And you know how depressing it is when you see that cash money go into your hand and immediately leave? I said, it's not good to owe people money. And the Proverbs even say that. You become a slave to the lender. So I feel that burden. I didn't say I feel. This person I know feels that burden. 
And so by September, this person I know wants to be rid of this debt. So that's the goal. And to do that, though, you have to say, okay, I have to pay X amount of dollars each month. And then you extrapolate your budget and you're like, okay, that means I have to give up this, this, and this. And so I can't afford to eat four dozen cookies a week. So actually my other resolution is fit. You know, this all works out. What we're talking about, though, as, as a Christian, and I think this is what we're wrestling with, is all resolutions, for the most part, are pretty good. But we're wrestling with what is God's expectations of us as we kind of go about this. And to do that, I want to look at the Apostle Paul. And he's an interesting guy. He's the Pharisee of Pharisees. He's like a super Jew, ultimate Pharisee. He persecuted the church, and then he's called to become a believer. So he's a believer. It's amazing how often... He must add ESPN that he writes about sports. Do you ever notice that? My wife says I talk too much about sports and sermons, but this one is okay because the Apostle Paul does it. So the Apostle Paul says this. He says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training, they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it, do it to get a crown that will last forever. So instead of thinking, and I know um, this is not a pump-up speech to say like, hey, really finish this year strong. You only have four days left. I think you can do it on your own. And it's not even a pump-up speech to say, hey, um, this next year, just really get her done. And so next December, when we talk about resolutions, we can have a whole church that raises their hand and says, yeah, we defy the odds. Our walk as a Christian, is way longer. It's not like a series of sprints. It's like this long race. And for some of us, maybe that's another year. And for some of us, that's 40 years. It's this long race. So I'd like to think of today, not as like the, the celebration of an end or the beginning of something new, but like a pit stop. You ever pay for a race? And I think the pit stop is like one of the best parts. Like you're running along and then someone hands you Gatorade. Like, water is disappointing. You always got to go past the water station. That's just my advice. You got to keep running until you see the green cups, and then you get the Gatorade, and it tastes just awesome. This is even better than that. We're going to spend time in God's Word and say, let's see what our Heavenly Father, what advice He has for us as we try and finish our race together. So a couple things that it talks about, and, and this will be, we're going to be waiting in illustrations like way more than normal. But one of the things it talks about is strict training. Does anyone know like an Olympic athlete? We'll just start there current Olympic athlete or a professional sports person, you would know, no one knows them. You know why? Because they're not very fun to hang out with until they're done with their event. And so you always wonder, like, why are baseball guys or you see former football players, they look totally out of shape when they show them on video? It's because they have spent, like, a remarkable amount of time trying to be singular in their goal. Their goal says, I want to be the best, which means that determines what they eat. So I just think of your life versus that person's life. You want to be like a top cyclist if you follow the Tour de France. That means when you eat like a full meal, they are weighing their food out. I told you they're not fun to hang out with. Okay, so then, then let's just move it to sleep. Like you're getting ready to sleep and you say, ideally I get eight hours a day or something. But what happens if you've got a project you want to get done with so you can hang out with your kids the next day? You just stay up, right? You can't do that as a professional. You just can't because it, like, over time deteriorates your body. The, the, the Olympic athletes and the Tour de France guys, have you ever seen them? The best part about Tour de France guys is that, like, 90% of us could beat them in a wrestling match, but they're still, like, the most fit guys on the planet. They weigh, like, 125 pounds. But 
they get done. They're on a cycle for like nine hours, eight hours, some ridiculous amount of time. And the stairs, just to preserve their legs, they have people carrying them up the stairs. Does that seem ridiculous? Like, how would I, if I've, that's why I couldn't be a professional cyclist, that and 70 pounds. But I mean, like, you can imagine, like, saying, man, I feel like I'm on the top of my game. Honey, can you carry me up the stairs? And it would just, like, just carry your wife carrying you up the stairs to preserve your legs. And then they put their legs up in the air. That's the kind of stuff they have to do. They can't live it up. They can't party. So they're, they can't eat certain things. They have to sleep things. They have to watch the stress level they live, all because of what? They have a singular goal. And I think that makes Paul's point very clear. We talk about if you want to be the best ballerina in the world and you've seen the documentaries, is it worth it? For some people it is. And for some people they say, this is what I'm striving for. And they stand on top of like the Olympic podium and tears are going down their eyes and tears are going down the eyes of their their friends and their family. Why? Because A, they reached their goal and their friends are like, finally you're done with this. If you ever met anyone who trained for an Ironman, well, we know someone at church who has, I think the tears of joy are really from his wife that he doesn't get up at four in the morning to go do these same things again and again and again. Because your whole life, if you've got a singular focus, I guarantee you can get it. But you've got to give up a whole lot of other things to do it. And are those things, so now just think about your resolutions. Would it be awesome, did I just do that? Would it be awesome to be out of debt? Yeah, I think it would. I mean, you just think about like the weight of that. That would be awesome. Would it be awesome to get in the, the shape you want to get in? Just think, you got to think ahead. You got to visualize your goals. Yeah, I think it would. If you're getting, you want to lose 10 pounds or 20 pounds or 30, whatever it is, uh, say you want to squat 400 pounds, if that's your goal, would it feel good when you got there? Would it feel good to be able to do a 360s with your knees bent on skis? I mean, just hypothetically. Yes, it would. All these things feel great but how long do those last? Not very long. And so Paul says, you know what, they go into strict training, they do all this stuff for a crown that doesn't even last. You are fighting and you are struggling for a singular goal. And on this planet, God says, here's what I want. I want you to come into my arms on when you die because your faith has finished the race. So all these other things, I'm not saying they're bad, But if you want to talk about from God's perspective, what is your number one goal? Your number one goal is to remain in the faith and walk in the faith. What's the problem, though? What derails you from your goals as you're talking about your resolutions that you've set from last year? All kinds of things, right? A friend of mine who went to Colorado Mountain College, did anyone go there? Steamboat? So he went to Steamboat, and he said his goal was to be a mogul skier in the Olympics. So I thought, that's pretty cool. And then I see him now, I'm like, how did that go? He's like, I like beer too much. (laughs) So what's the problem? The problem is, even if you have a singular goal, suddenly there's all these other distractions that come along and you say, here's what I want to do. And it makes sense, right? It would feel awesome to be out of debt, but then you see something to buy, you you turn on Groupon or something, you're like, hey, two nights lodging for 182 bucks. That sounds fun. Or my friend who is training to be, he went with a guy, I don't know if it was Johnny Mosley, it was another mogul guy who got a medal at the ski. And I said, oh, how was he? And he's like, oh, not only was he incredible, but his discipline was unbelievable. Like, he'd go to bed early. He'd never hang out. Like I told you, not very fun to hang out with and, until they're done. So he did all those things. How many distractions do you have as you walk your Christian life? 
I mean, if, if, if you've got all these distractions to try and get out of debt, you have all these distractions to try and finally write your book, you have all these distractions to try and get a promotion at work, you have all these distractions to do all these things you're supposed to be doing, the same thing is true with your Christian life. And on that journey as you're walking, you know, just a little bit of lust makes some sense. You know, just a little bit of anger just starts to derail you. And then you get to a point where you say, okay, you can't skip a training session as every one of us does. But from our Christian walk, we say, well, what if I just skip church this day? And what if I just stop hanging out with other Christians? And if I just take a little bit of a break, you know, you can do that. But are you going to finish the goal strong? So there's so many distractions that are going to be pulling and pulling and pulling. So the Apostle Paul talks about that. How does he want us to train? He says, train yourselves to be godly. Physical training is of some value, but godliness, he's speaking to Timothy, who's a young pastor, has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Your goal is not just to start strong. Your goal is to finish strong. David says it a little bit differently. He says, Psalm 119, I hold fast to your statutes, Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Your goal is not just to have like an awesome week. You know, I read my Bible every day this week, done. Your goal isn't just a month even. We're part of this long race, and this is just a pit stop to try and encourage you and work together as a group of people to say, let's hold each other accountable, let's encourage each other so that we can finish this race strong. So what are some of the things that pull you personally, I think, from this walk? And I think there's a few. One to me is worry. God says he's going to take care of you. God says he's going to be there for you. God says he's going to hold you up. But how often do the worries of this life, it even says that in Scripture, don't let, be burdened down by the worries of this life or the dissipation of this world and the anxieties of life. Because what happens when you start to worry? You start thinking about yourself. And when you start thinking about yourself and your own needs and your own abilities, it starts to implode more and more and more. What does God say when you start to worry? Cast these anxieties on me because I care for you. So I guarantee as you get ready for this next year and you think about, man, I can't even imagine what's all going to be coming. God says, hey, just put that on me. Just, just drop it on me. I'll take care of things. Second thing I think is keeping your eye on the prize. As I said, my friend from the Colorado Mountain College, we set a goal and I think we could collectively say it would be really good if, if we just recognize that our goal really is to end our life in the Lord. That's our goal. But how many other goals do there that come up? How many goals are there that actually are pretty appealing? My friend wanted to hang out with friends, so he's not an Olympic athlete. That's appealing. It's fun to hang out with friends. Uh, it, would it be good to be popular? There's nobody here who's saying, like, no, I think that's terrible. No, it's good to have people like you, I think. Is it good to uh, make enough money so you can take care of your family? I, I think that's good. Is it good to feel physically fit? Of course it is. Is it good to be the best dad ever? Yeah, of course that's all good. But recognize as soon as you make those choices, 
that say, I want to make money, or I want to do this, or I want to have popularity, you're changing your goal. My friend's goal originally was to be an Olympic athlete. What did his goal then become? Hang out with Olympic athletes at the Colorado Mountain College, right? His goal distinctly shifted. And when you say, my goal is to be the best dad ever, you can reach that. I guarantee you can be the best dad ever. You can make a million bucks. This is not that difficult, my friends. It is not that difficult to be the life of the party. It's not that difficult to be successful at work. It's not that hard to get a promotion. It's not that hard to do all these things. However, recognize as soon as you do that, you can't do everything. And you've got to shift your goal and say, I'm no longer saying my most important job of my entire life is to finish my race in the Lord. And you've got to think outside yourself. So let me tell you a long illustration and then say where I think it applies. Uh, the, uh, if you read the book of Matthew, there's a really uh, interesting thing. Uh, this is interesting to people who believe in faith healing, so maybe you know somebody. But they always say the person who's being healed, faith healers, say does not have enough faith. And I think that's really interesting because you read in the book of Matthew, so the apostles are all, could you imagine if God gave you the power to heal people? Oh, man, that'd be pretty awesome, I think. I mean, that would be That'd be awesome. So they have this ability. They're, they're healing people and they can drive out demons, which would be even better, except for the scary part of confronting demons. So they have this ability to drive out demons. And this guy comes and he says, my son is infected by this demon. And they said, we'll take care of it. So you read this in Matthew. They go all the way over and they get ready to drive out this demon. And you can imagine like, um, I just picture like Thunderbolts. This is maybe my kid's version of it. Like when you go like this, and they hold their hands up and the, like Darth Vader, you know, and he goes like this and then the things shoot out of his hands. Or no, that's the emperor. When the emperor does that, the Force Awakening just crossed over a billion dollars for ticket sales, which is unbelievable. So the, like the Thunderbolts shoot out of their hands, right? So just, just imagine the disciples getting ready to do that. This is not how it happened, by the way. So, so what did you learn in, in church today? Uh, how it didn't happen in the Bible. But, so I imagine the thunderbolt's getting ready, and it's going to be uh, blue because they're good. It's not red. So um, they hold out, and they go, and like nothing happens. And then they go to send out the demons again. Like, they're totally embarrassed. Can you imagine you talk big, and you're like, I'm going to cast this demon out of your son. You go do that, and nothing happens. That's how they feel. So they go back to Jesus, and they said, what's the deal? And Jesus, among other things, says, um, you're arrogant and you didn't recognize this and this, but he gets down to the point that says, you forgot where your gifts come from. It's not you. And Jesus, of course, casts out the demon. And, and the only thing that we can figure out from that is that they went into the situation thinking like they were literally all that, and just because of their abilities and who they were, they had the power to do this, and God says, hey, you totally forgot where all this power came from. The Lord, you have to think outside yourself on two levels. One is recognize that the Lord is the one who's allowing you to do these things. And then think outside yourselves for another thing. This isn't just about you. Our default setting, for sure, 100%, really is about us. But this isn't about you. When you get together, when we get together as a church, it's saying, okay, here's our goal together collectively. It's not to be the nicest church, although that's good. It, you know, it's not to be the richest church, it's not to do all these, have the nicest building. Our goal collectively as a church is to help each one of us get to the end of the race. And you have a bigger influence on some people than others. You have a big influence on your spouse. You have a big influence on your kids. And now this is thinking outside yourself. This isn't just about me. 
I'm trying to raise myself and grow myself in God's word, be filled up at these Gatorade stops, but at the same time, I've got a family that I have to think about. I've got a wife and a, or a husband that I need to encourage. I've got kids that I need to drink, wake up and say, hey, this is what's important to our family because our biggest deal here is not just to be the most liked family, to be the, you know, have the best sports team. The, our biggest deal here as a family is that each one of us finish this race. The story of the treadmill. Uh, Amy and I got a treadmill, not recently. So in, in Washington, Amy can run. I don't run. I, I told you, I look like an orangutan. It's worse when I do pull-ups. Um, so I'm not a big runner, but we had this idea that we should get a treadmill, and she uses the treadmill. And of course, I'm somewhat competitive. I thought, I wonder how fast this treadmill goes. And then I wonder if I could run at full speed for a mile. You ever try this? This is a great, <laughs> you should try it. So I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> I made sure no one was around to, to see this. And this is not like one of those epic flails where you land on your face and you go shooting off into the wall. So I tried it and I lasted, you know how long I lasted? I, I think I lasted like 500 meters or something like that. And, and I thought, if, what if someone would have given me a million dollars? Do I think I could have done it? We're not talking great speeds here. It was like a five-minute mile. But it's on a treadmill, so it's easier. I think I could, if you offered me a million bucks, I think I could do it. I made it 500 meters out of 1,600. I didn't want to do it. Let me tell you another story. So Amy, who's a runner, because I love her. No, she's a runner, regardless if I love her or not. Um, so Amy, I do love her. So she said, hey, we should do the turkey trot. Is anyone, that's only 5K. So I, I'm not a runner again. And I thought, okay, I'm going to train up. So I actually did, you know, a training run. And then I got ready to go. And I said, hey, I'm going to see if I can drop the hammer on this thing. You know, so I'm actually stretching and um, I hit it. You know, I, I go out. And this might not be fast to you, but I'm doing like sub six miles for the first two miles. And for me, my goal was 20, and I'm like, I am killing it. I felt like, you know, I felt like the guy in Chariots of Fire when I run. It feels like God is, sh- it does right now. I feel like God is shining on me, and I'm running, and I'm running. And then, you know when they say the wheels come off? I so blew up. I mean, like, I wish I could let you know the pain I had in my sides and my muscles just turned to mush, and I'm like walking through cement. It took me, i got to figure out the math, it took me 12 minutes to run the last mile. I could, you could crawl a, minute, a while in 12 minutes. What is it saying? Just to have the, the idea to say, this is what I want to do, and to start out strong is not that hard. It's not hard. Do you think 88% of people fail on their resolutions in the first week? No, only 25%. So 75% people make it a week, 65% make it a month. By June, we're down to 45%. What is it that pulls someone all the way until the end? You need motivation. And sometimes when you're in the midst of this run and your side hurts, you're like, why am I doing this to myself? Why am I going through the trouble if you don't have a motivation to say, this is what's most important and this is what I want to say? You can't do this on your own. You just can't. And as disciplined as you are as a human being, as strict as you are at work, you cannot finish your race with Christ all on your own just because you're such a great Christian person. The disciples looked to themselves and Jesus had to remind you, it's not about you guys, it's about me. Story number two. Uh, has anyone done a Tough mutter? No Tough, we don't have a single Tough mutter participant? Okay, good, so we have at least one. There must be a big deal because a guy at the gym had three tattoos for the time when he finished the Tough Mudder. I cr- I've never done an event hard enough that it, it's worthy of a tattoo. Although, if I would have done the treadmill test, I would have had a beauty right there. 
right? So I've never done anything. So apparently this is hard and they have all these obstacles. And here's the challenge when you, when you look at life. It's not just saying like, is this something that I can do if I just stick too hard enough? Most human things you can do. Most human things you can do. To finish your race with God, you can't do just on your own. And it's literally running into an obstacle like a tough mudder, a wall you cannot climb. When God says, I want perfection, it's a wall you cannot climb. It'd be like a test for my dad to say, can you roll your tongue? He can't, right? And it doesn't matter how much he would practice. He literally can't. How many of you are trying to do it? Um, I think by now you know if you can roll your tongue or not. He literally can't do it. And the wall that God has asked us to do, to just finish with perfection, we cannot do. And that's why we come together as a group of people. That's why we think outside ourselves and say, let's finish this race together. You know, let's just take a pit stop regularly in God's word. Let's encourage each other. Let's build each other up and, and just not put Jesus on our back, but we go on Jesus' back as he goes all the way up every single obstacle and finishes the race and says, now you're with me. Therefore, we have this picture, and this is our last point I'm going to make. Um, we have this picture in Hebrews, which is really interesting. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, talking about the saints, let us throw off everything. So the whole chapter before this is talking about these amazing people of faith. Let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Fix your eyes not on you, but fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. My friends, I'm here with you, and hopefully everyone else, you can look around here to say we all have the same goal. We're all trying to finish this race together. Let's encourage each other. Let's encourage our kids. Let's encourage our family and say let's work together and fix our eyes on Jesus, the only one who makes this possible. Amen. Heavenly Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we finish this year, uh, help us finish strong. Four days left in this year. Help us finish strong in the goals that we've set. And as we set goals for this next year, let the primary goal that we set forth uh, to be walking with you, and whatever role that means as parents, as kids, as students, as adults, as employees, help that be our primary goal. And we know that when we seek first your kingdom, all these other things fall into place. So we pray that um, as we seek you, You'll take care of our physical needs. You'll take away any worries that we have. And you can help us be so loved and so taken care of through your word that we know that, that we can reach out to those and, and help them along in this race. Um, as we reach obstacles, we reach challenges, we reach surgeries, we reach um, unemployment. Uh, let's pick each other up and always keep our eyes fixed on you. Amen.